are listening to the Daily Roundup here as part of the Reality Steve podcast. I am your host, Reality Steve. Very, very good show heading into the weekend. Some stuff went down yesterday. We're going to talk about it. We've got the insufferable narcissistic windbag at it again. A former contestant on Katie's season up for child porn charges. That doesn't play well in the clink. Mike Fleiss, we know a couple days ago he was stepped down, resigned, whatever the case may be from the show, the creator of The Bachelor. Well, there was an investigation done, and now we know why he was basically ousted from the show. The Bachelor live on stage, no more. And then I'm going to end with a little Taylor Swift because in hours... I will be attending concert number one here in Dallas for her. So we will get to that momentarily. This podcast brought to you by Trail Mix Games. Love and Pies. For a tasty mix of love and drama, download Love and Pies for free today and check out the Lake Pass event. It's only available now through May 7th. That's Love and Pies, and it's free to download in the App Store or Google Play. Gosh, where do we begin? Uh, first off, let's start with the insufferable narcissistic windbag because Zach and Katie went on the Chicks in the Office podcast. Or maybe it was Caitlin. No, I think it was Caitlin's where they basically, Caitlin had brought up like, man, Nick was really mean to you guys. And Zach basically told a story of the fact that, yeah, it was weird because he reached out to me like a day before everything started and was, was, you know, hey, man, I got your back. Here's my phone number. And then, you know, I find out that he's absolutely, you know, ripping on me in these articles. He goes, I haven't heard anything he said. I haven't listened to anything he said. But I know he was pretty bad on me. I mean, yeah, I'd say calling him a total dick twice is a little bit more than constructive criticism. But, again, I don't know how many times I got to say it. The insufferable narcissistic windbag shows himself constantly. I don't know why people don't see it. How many more times does this guy have to be hypocritical in the position that he's in and the position that he used to be in as a former lead of the show and then to go do what he does yet call people out for it? It just mind-boggling to me. But when what what's that saying? When someone shows you who they are, believe them? How many times has he done it? And yet, I don't know. People choose still, I don't know, to follow him and listen to what he has to say about anything. Makes no sense. I'm going to say this next story, I'm going to give you, uh, forewarn you, uh, this is a um, a highly sensitive topic, and this is a trigger warning regarding child pornography. So if you don't want to listen, fast forward, uh, but you've been warned. Former Bachelorette contestant on Katie's season, Joshua Tyler Best, Lasted four episodes, did not make a name for himself, wasn't involved really in any drama. Most people don't remember him. I forgot he lasted four episodes. I thought he was a first night eliminatee, but he wasn't. Anyway, he was charged with child pornography possession last month in Miami. Uh, According to the arrest affidavit, police obtained a search warrant for a Google account registered to him after it was flagged for uploading 50 images and videos showing child sexual abuse. Authorities allegedly 
found evidence that the former reality hopeful had been interacting with images. I don't know what interacting with images is, but I don't know if I want to know. In addition, police seized his residence and took his electronic items, including his iPhone, which allegedly contained 15 files that they also deemed child pornography involving some children under the age of 10. He was charged with 15 felony counts of possession of materials showing sexual performance by a child. He pled not guilty, was released on $5,000 bond. Next court date is scheduled for June 7th. There isn't a hell of a lot to add to this since we don't know the details. But I do know this. This does not bode well for him because that bell will be hard to unring. I'm sure his defense is going to be, uh, you know, wasn't me who uploaded it, or I don't know how it got on my computer. I mean, how else do you defend something like that? Wasn't mine. My friend was over at my house. I don't know how he's going to get away with the phone stuff. It's his phone. I mean, that's really all you can say at that point. Is it going to be believable? Probably not. Hard to unring that bell. And if he goes to the clink for something like this, last time I checked, inmates in prison aren't too fond of child pornographers. Sad story all around. But if, if, if this is all true and there's no way around it and it was all traced to him and he was downloading this stuff and images and interacting with images, you don't feel sorry for the guy for whatever happens to him. I'm sorry. I sure don't. And I can't imagine many of you do either. The other big story that broke yesterday same woman that broke the news that Mike Fleiss was no longer part of The Bachelor on Monday, Elizabeth Wagmeister for Variety, has a follow-up story saying that when they originally, Variety, had questioned the reasoning behind his exit, ABC and Warner Brothers you know, wouldn't comment on his departure. However, um, a handful of individuals familiar with the situation tell Variety that a number of employees had complained to human resources about Fleiss, which led to a thorough investigation that was conducted by an outside party the past few months. Those who spoke during the investigation included current producers on the show, as well as former production staffers. Some of these individuals were prominent producers within the franchise. That includes The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. The investigation resulted in Fleiss's departure. So what did these producers tell the people who did the investigation? Sources say producers complained about Fleiss's bullying behavior as well as his resistance to increasing diversity on the show over two year, uh, over 20 years. Individuals who spoke during the investigation expressed that when production staffers suggested casting more diverse reality contestants, Fleiss would not take their suggestions and would lash out at them. The individuals who spoke anonymously with Variety said that throughout the investigation, a common theme that repeatedly came up was that the fight for change was a source of frustration for many staff members. Quote, people said he would retaliate against people for having minorities and black people on the show. He favored certain people over other people. He would say, quote, minorities don't get ratings, end quote. They reached out to Fleiss for a comment, and he sent back a statement via email. He actually did. Usually those people are just like, no comment. 
Um, he acknowledged they could have done more to diversify the show, and he hopes that the show will continue to move in the right direction without him. Um, just looking at his statement here, um, since its premiere 21 years ago, times have certainly changed, and I'd have to say we didn't keep up with the pace of those changes. I'm proud of the work we've done over the past five years to make the show substantially more diverse, but I do believe I could have done more. Hopefully the franchise moves in the right direction, judging by the number of staff weddings we've hosted at our home and the number of teary messages that blew up my phone when I announced I had turned in my final rose. I'm pretty sure I had more good days than bad, lifted more spirits than hurt feelings, and leave the franchise in good hands with more friends than foes. Okay, okay so he doesn't necessarily address, hey, did you ever say to anybody or write in a text message or an email to anybody, minorities don't get ratings? I mean, that would be huge if somebody could produce that whether in a recorded phone call or an email exchange or a text exchange. I can't imagine he would be stupid enough to put something like that in writing, but who knows? Um, you know, look, this is, this is just the beginning, and I'm sure more stories are going to come out. Um, look, I've been covering this show, I guess, more intently since 2009 is when I started getting sources and spoilers and stuff like that. The amount of things that I've heard about Mike Fleiss over the years, does this story surprise me? Absolutely not. It doesn't. I've had people directly tell me things that he said and did while on set. But, you know, just stuff just goes along with a lot of the stuff that I've heard over the years. I'm just not going to relay. It's just If I can't prove it, it's just me just feeding into gossip and, you know, um, but I have heard things. So when I hear someone say that he made a statement like that, am I surprised? No. Allegedly made a statement like that? No. That doesn't surprise me. That, that doesn't surprise me that that sentence could have come out of his mouth based on everything that I have heard about him. This is a guy that in the beginning, remember the show Unreal, that was based off a producer who worked with Fleiss. For years, in the early seasons of the show. And remember that character who played Fleiss? Or who was playing a guy that was basically the Mike Fleiss of the Unreal TV show? Chet? Remember some of the things that he was doing on set? I mean, that was made by a producer who worked with Fleiss. So, put two and two together and you'll get four. The stories I've heard over the years, crazy. Um... So none of this, none of this comes as a surprise whatsoever, to be honest with you. But we're still early. This just broke yesterday. I'm sure more and more stuff is going to come out. Maybe some people will put their name behind it. Maybe some people who don't work for The Bachelor anymore will come out and say, yeah, you know what? He said this. He did this to me. He sucked to work for, and he really did not care about racial diversity, and I can prove it with this, 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 and this. Or some people might just say, like, through this story, anonymously, tell stories anonymously, and, you know, I get it. Some people want to protect their jobs, but um, I think this is just the beginning. I think more stuff is going to leak over the next few months. So anytime it does, we'll update it. We'll cover the stories. But Elizabeth Wagmeister is an excellent reporter uh, for Variety, and I know that she is not going to run with something that has no merit to it. So clearly she has spoken to people who were part of that investigation and got them to tell her stuff off record, and 
this is what they were basically complaining about. So, you know, this is just the beginning. More is coming for sure, and uh, we will we will talk about it the more it comes up. All right, let's move on to the next Bachelor-related story, and that is the fact that the Bachelor Live onstage tour in Arizona. Remember a few weeks ago I said that they had rebooted it for six shows in the month of April. Becca and Andrew were going to host four of the six, and Andrew and someone else were hosting the other two. Well, it was just announced recently that all six of those shows have been canceled. A lot of people are running around kind of scrambling, like, wait a second, what? You had six shows? You hadn't done Bachelor Live on stage for at least a year? Obviously, COVID took it down. I can't remember when it was last on, but I want to say a year ago, maybe 18 months ago. And people are just wondering, you know, What's going on? What happened? Why did it get canceled? I did some digging on my own. I made some phone calls, sent out some emails, and here's what I basically can tell you. Throughout my thorough investigation of why The Bachelor Live on stage got canceled, what I've come up with is this. Because it's fucking stupid. That's why. (laughs) No, I didn't do any work behind the scenes about this show. But... Am I surprised that this show got canceled? No. Look, I didn't go to it. No, I never went to it. I've seen clips of it. I know what it is. I told you about when it came, when I told you the whole story about, hey, it's coming back in in Arizona, you know, last month when I was like, they're they're doing six dates in Arizona. Bachelor Live on stage coming back. And uh, at the time, I was scratching my head. Why? Who goes to this? It's literally the stupidest thing in the world. It's not funny. It's just dumb. I said the original concept of it made sense because you were taking a local, like if they were in Arizona, they would find a local guy in Scottsdale or Phoenix and bring him on stage and, you know, bring up women who decided to compete that night and he would pick someone and, you know, maybe go to dinner with them. It probably wasn't going to work out in the long run anyway. But what they would do was in the cities that they went to, they were actually trying to, you know, maybe find a match. And maybe some people could go out on a date and maybe something would happen down the line. And maybe two people did connect and ended up getting engaged later on. I don't know. But then the show turned into, let's just use the Bachelors as our guys from the franchise, even if they have girlfriends. We're just putting on a show. And I'm like, okay, this is that's just dumb. (laughs) So you're asking me why? That's probably why. Because it's stupid. That's why Bachelor Live on stage got canceled dumb if you go to the website maybe that's what it says dates in arizona at the talking stick arena canceled reason dumb i don't know but i did not do any research that's my own theory about why this show is no longer and that's because it's dumb all right I, I wanted to get to the Blake Horseman lawsuit by NZK suing him for $175,000 for breach of contract on things that he did post-show. I, I'm going to save that for Monday, even though that might get thrown on the back burner because Monday is going to be a lot of my review of what I want to talk about now, which is tonight going to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert at AT&T Stadium here in Dallas. I've waited five years to see her again in person. 
For those that don't know, I'm a le- I, I'm first to admit I'm a bandwagon Taylor Swift fan. I have not been someone that literally was following her when she was a teenager and performing in front of you know 13 people at state fairs in in Pennsylvania. I've seen those pictures. It's crazy to think that someone who started out playing her guitar in front of people at state fairs is now selling out football stadiums over 50 cities in six months. I mean, that's just, I find it fascinating. I'm a latecomer. I basically started liking Taylor when I first heard We Are Never, Ever, Ever Getting Back Together. For some reason, that song resonated with me. Maybe it was because the situation I was in at the time. I don't know. I just thought that song was a banger, and every time I heard it, I was just like, I love it. So I would say, and that was what, on the Red album? Yeah. So that's probably when I started tuning in to her. And then right after I heard that, I think is when I started hearing, is when right around the time, not the time that 1989 was released, because I think she was putting out an album every two years at that point. But when 1989 came out, that's when I was all in. That's when I was, I would listen to a full album. Before, I had heard songs here and there, you know, but I was all in on 1989. First concert I ever saw of Taylor Swift was in Los Angeles at what is now called Crypto.com Arena, formerly Staples Center, with my niece. I saw 1989 there. It was so good on my flight home because I was flying to California to, to see family. On my flight home, I bought tickets because she still had an upcoming concert in Dallas at, is that in AT&T? Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't at American Airlines Center. Yeah, that was at AT&T Stadium as well. So 1989, some of the concerts that she did were in arenas, 20, 25,000. Some of them were in football stadiums. So I went and saw her, I can't remember when it was, July or August, and then I think October around that time or something like that, or maybe, yeah, September or October, she was set to perform at AT AT&T Stadium, and literally on the flight home, I bought my tickets. I was like, I got to see that again. I I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I did, and then I waited two years, and the Reputation Tour happens, and I saw her in Denver. In May of whatever year that was, that would have been probably 2018, right? So I saw her in Denver at Invesco Field, and then I saw her at AT&T Stadium again, and it was the last night of her tour. And if you watch the Reputation Tour on streaming, the show that they recorded that one was the show that I was at. It was the last show in Dallas. It was her last U.S. city before she went overseas. And I'll always say, the opening of Reputation is the best one. I've seen all her opens because people have put that on TikTok of all of her concerts. The opening of Reputation is the best opening of a concert ever. Don't at me. (laughs) But And I've even seen the opening of the Eras Tour when she did it in both Vegas and Arizona. It's good. If you would have asked me what song do you think she's opening with, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince probably would have been 15th on my list. I like the song. I just didn't think she was going to open with it. But neither here nor there. Still a great open, but opening up with Are You Ready For It for Reputation was a banger. It was awesome. You can't beat that. No, Anybody that's been to all of her concerts, I'd like to hear from you, but you have to admit, right? The opening of Reputation with Are You Ready For It can't be beat in terms of openers. 
Now, this concert is amazing from everything that I've heard. Nobody has said a bad thing about it outside of, you know, long lines. You know, a lot of women are saying you better wear comfortable shoes because you're not going to be one to standing in your heels all night. It's going to it's literally almost uh, almost five hours from the time the whole thing starts till it's over. Taylor's going to go on about eight o'clock local time and not end till about 1115. She does 44 songs over three hours and 15 minutes and doesn't take a break. I need to, I, you know, nobody's lying when they say that. They've seen it. They've already experienced it. Some people in, da- in Arizona, some people in Vegas. And it's still impossible to believe. I know what I'm going to see, but I think I'm still going to be in awe that she does that because she also pulls no intermissions. It's just straight through. Outside of a few costume changes, she's going straight through for three hours and 15 minutes and 44 songs, and she doesn't really do apparently any mashups either. Like, goes through her freaking catalog. All 10 albums, we're getting songs, at least one from every album. So I cannot wait. If you want to follow along, I guarantee I'll probably be posting some stuff on my Instagram stories tonight. I might be a little inebriated. There's a good chance I might be screaming at some point during the concert. So I'm just I'm just warning you, okay? So... Be ready for that. That'll be on my Instagram stories tonight. I'm so giddy. I'm so excited. I can't wait to go. Um, she puts on a hell of a show, and I can't imagine this is going to be any worse. Or any, I mean, it's just it, 1989, Reputation, they were both great. This is going to be great as well. I just know it is. Can't wait. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Your Sports Daily will be up in about an hour from now. It's going to be a talk with one of my buddies, uh, uh, my radio buddies from back in my radio career. A lot of fun doing that. So hope you enjoy that. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. And I will talk to you on Monday. See you.